Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. ago now, uh, Lexi and I, that's my wife, Lexi, <laughs> we went out of town. Yeah, we went on a vacation <laughs> to the most magical place on earth. Have you ever been there? Yeah, yeah, we went to Disney World. So um, you probably know this already, uh, but that place is exhausting. <laughs> I'm still physically recovering from it. Like, I'm not okay, so pray for me. And I, I'm, I'm an endurance athlete. Like, I do long, strenuous uh, athletic activity, and I recover quite quickly, but I still am, like, just run down from the Florida heat and the, the people and all the things, right? But seriously, it was a good time, right? Going to Disney World with a toddler can be terrible, and it can be amazing, and it's usually both at the same time, right? Uh, depending on how many meltdowns there are and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, Ezra, he's young. He's only 15 months old. He uh, didn't know what was going on, but he was loving every moment of it. That's how I live my life. Um, but we watched him soak in, like, the world around him, you know, and just, just really form new categories in his little mind for, for what was possible. And it was really just a joyful experience to, to sit there and, and watch it happen. Now, I, I've been to Disney a lot of times in my life, and so you probably uh, know this as well. Uh, Disney... It ain't cheap, <laughs> right? So the rational, logical part of me says, like, you know, we've got to experience every single thing that they have here so that we can get our money's worth. <laughs> and that's really great. And you can do that when you're, like, 20 and you don't have any kids. But that's not the mentality that, that really works out when you've got little ones in tow, you know, being yoked to a toddler doesn't really afford for moving quickly. And so that expectation, I found out very quickly, needed to shift. And I'm going to go ahead and brag on myself and say that it happened pretty naturally and flawlessly and gracefully for me this time. Um, maybe you're hearing something different from the seats. I don't know. But what I accepted pretty early on in this adventure was that it wasn't going to be like any other Disney or amusement park vacation that we had ever gone on together without a child. It was going to be more expensive, like a lot more expensive. We were going to see, and we did see, a lot more bathrooms than actual attractions, <laughs> which is, you know, when you hang out with a toddler and a pregnant lady, like, that's just the way that science works, you know? So uh, I was good. I was good with it, you know? See, however, like, although we weren't getting what I would traditionally consider uh, my money's worth, I have to say that I most definitely got what I paid for. See, what I got was an experience that stretched my heart 
in new ways. Ezra soaked in every single moment. He's not going to remember it, but we have like three pictures a day to prove that he was there and he was having a good time or was, had such a good time that he was passed out, right? Uh, he was locked in on everything that was happening around him. He, he legitimately grew up in front of our eyes over the course of a week as he figured things out. And there we were in real time watching it all happen. So my most memorable experience uh, of this happening came on a ride that we all went on as a family. Uh, we went on It's a Small World as a family, and this is not that ride. He fell asleep. He was super bored. And so was I but it was cute. Uh, but we went on this ride called uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. You ever been on that ride? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool ride, right? It's pretty tame. It's a neat little boat ride where there's like cannons being shot and stuff, but there's lots of stuff to look at. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's fairly tame. But at the very beginning of the ride, if you've never gone on it, sorry, I'm going to spoil it for you a little bit. There is a small drop. Your, your boat goes downhill, and it, it's a little bit thrilling. Now, what was memorable about, memorable about this experience for me was that Ezra, little 15-month-old Ezra, was sitting on my lap. And as we began to drop, this little dude throws his hands up in the air like, woo! Giggles the loudest baby giggle that you could imagine. And I got to say, it was the most grown-up thing that I've ever seen him do. It was like, he understood the assignment, you know? <laughs> Like, the, he, he really understood that this was a thrilling experience, and I'm, I'm just really grateful that if he stays on this course, then we're going to have a lot of fun on roller coasters in a few years, all right? But something else happened uh, on that ride. I wasn't conscious of it at the time, but what has occurred to me is a remembrance that God is always speaking to me, even when it takes me a little while to realize it. Because, you know, I, I wasn't reflecting in the moment on all of this uh, as an experience that relates to stewardship. But now that I was looking back at it, it, it's like God was handing me the blueprints for how to talk about today's topic. Because at the end of the pirate's ride, if you remember, there's this scene where Captain Jack Sparrow is sitting in a room filled with treasure. And he seems really, really happy, but he's also really, really drunk. So there's that. And while it's meant to be a funny scene, the, real, the reality is that through the entirety of the ride, you are witnessing this manhunt for Captain Jack, as well as all the sneaky stuff that he does in order to acquire the map and the key that affords him the treasure that he finds at the end of your boat ride. And so kind of like this thing happened where my entire Disney experience was, was set before me against a typical human relationship towards money. Or There's the way of spending money that I'll never get back for the reward of you know, allowing my son and my wife and I by proxy to experience the world in a new way like we had never done before. It's an investment which we may never see any real tangible fruit from. You got the pictures to prove it though. Or the, the way of Captain Jack Sparrow, striving and sneaking and hoarding for the purpose of self-indulgence. So if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that we are in a, a sermon series about stewardship. And 
And so you, you probably guessed it by now. Um, I'm talking about money today, okay? <laughs> and so if you're new, if you're just checking us out, I'm sorry. Don't worry. Uh, it's not like this every week, I promise. Only every other week. Just, just kidding. <laughs> but I hope that you'll still pay attention because these principles that I, I will talk to you about are still valid, even if you don't feel inclined to commit yourself financially to this church in particular. You know, money is one of those topics that's it's really kind of taboo to talk about, isn't it? But here's the deal. This place, this space, and all that we do here, it doesn't run on faith and pixie dust. It runs on faith and the good old American dollar, all right? And in order to keep it running, we've got to acquire U.S. dollars, okay? So the question that we need to address is, what is our attitude towards giving here at First Church of Fort Pierce? The answer to that question, that attitude that we have, is going to spring forward from our understanding of stewardship which we have talked about extensively over the past several weeks. Specifically, I have been saying that over and over that stewardship is the natural outpouring of the human vocation, which is to serve and to guard our world and our church on God's behalf. So we've said that the reason why we are called to serve and guard this church and our community is so that God's will can be done in Fort Pierce as it is in heaven. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is whether or not this, is, this why statement is the foremost guiding principle in every area of our lives, including our financial lives, or if something else is really driving or motivating our decision-making. And this is critically important because if the driving force behind our attitude towards giving is anything other than a desire to see God's will done on earth, then our priorities need to be rearranged. You see, Jesus was very persistent about this in his famous Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus concerns himself with everyday topics that people deal with uh, as a part of the human experience. But what he has a way of, of doing is cutting through the, the surface level behaviors and attitudes around these issues that people deal with and focusing on the, the deep stuff. Like any good counselor or therapist, Jesus is concerned with what's going on really. What is the heart orientation that drives the decisions that people make? You know, we all know, we all know that money makes the world go round, right? This isn't a, a new concept. Wealth has always been and will always be a fundamental piece of the human experience. And Jesus, well, Jesus had a lot to say about money. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about really any other subject. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he takes that task and he takes to it rather expansively. 
So today's scripture comes from uh, right in the middle of his sermon. It's going to be from Matthew chapter 6. And this is going to show us Jesus' fundamental understanding of wealth. So this is Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, I'm just going to pause here for a moment. But I, I think that for the most part, this piece of Jesus' teaching is pretty straightforward. Jesus is setting the fundamental tension that we experience when it comes to wealth in our own lives and in our world. Jesus is, is really asking people to, to consider and meditate on what they consider treasure to be. And the answer to that question comes from where you store it. Now, what Jesus is not saying is that it is morally wrong to be wealthy. Jesus is not saying it's morally wrong to make and save and have money. What Jesus is asking the people to consider is this question. Is the money that you have the most important thing in your life? Essentially, does your money serve you only also known as treasure stored up on earth? Or does your money serve the eternal purpose of God in God's kingdom? Also known as treasures stored up in heaven. You see, either your heart is selfish or your heart is focused outward. Your use of money betrays the truth about this for you. So Jesus is going to use a metaphor to kind of further explain this, picking right back up where we left off in Matthew 6, verse 22. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Don't be fooled. Jesus is not talking to you as an ophthalmologist. Jesus is still talking about money. So although he seems to shift subject matters here, the point that Jesus is making is that the way that you see money is a key indicator of your spiritual health. If your relationship to money is healthy, then your entire spiritual life will be set on a positive path. But if your relationship towards money is skewed, so will be the rest of you. Jesus goes on to finish in this way. He says, No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And this concluding statement from Jesus really puts the truth out there in no uncertain terms. Like, either you serve God or you serve wealth. Which means that either you are mastered by God 
or you are mastered by greed, by human striving, and by all of the other ways that we pursue the accumulation of wealth at the expense of the world around us, even at the expense of ourselves. There is no in-between. Either God, through Jesus Christ, is your Lord and Savior, or money is. And I think that you and I have seen that money is not a trustworthy God to put all of your faith in. Money won't save your soul. Money won't buy you peace. Money won't give you a community. Money won't heal your trauma. Money won't satisfy the longing deep in your heart for connection. And money, sure as heck, doesn't make you happy. And so what I want you to get from this entire discussion is an understanding of what a proper relationship to money looks like. Again, money is not evil. The love of money is where the problem lies. And that's the main point here. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I am more concerned with your relationship with money than I am with getting you to give some of it to us. And I believe that's what Jesus is most concerned with as well. And so what I want you to understand is that God wants you to give from a place of joy. That's the relationship that God wants you to have with money and with giving. Now, the Apostle Paul, who was a, a man that went around and planted Jesus communities, churches throughout the ancient Roman world, uh, he wrote a letter to the that he planted in Corinth. And in that letter, he specifically approaches them about taking up a special offering in order to help the people of Macedonia who were facing pretty extreme poverty. And so in the midst of that context, he, he writes this to them, which to, to me is really the guiding light of giving and generosity uh, as Christians. He says this, this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 7. He said, each of you must give as you would, as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this is the guiding light behind how I want you to give. I want you to give cheerfully. I want you to give from a place of joy. I don't want you to give from a place other than from a place of joy and a deep desire to see God's will done in Fort Pierce as it is in heaven. You see, giving needs to be the natural outpouring of your love for God and your dedication to serve God first and foremost in your life. Giving to the church should not be a whole bunch of things. And I'm going to tell you what a few of those things are. See, giving to the church should not come from a place of obligation or guilt. See, God doesn't want your money if you are feeling pressured to give it for any reason. We don't operate that way here. You aren't obligated to give. Which leads to this. Giving to the church is not a requirement for belonging here. 
You don't buy a membership. You don't pay for the seat. You don't pay for a seat at God's table. Don't give because you think you have to give in order to be a part of God's kingdom or to be a part of this community. Which leads to like the ultimate thing that giving is not. Giving to the church is not a means of buying a ticket to heaven. We don't sell those here. Okay? There might be other places around where you can buy one, but it's probably counterfeit. All right? This is really, really important. There are no tickets for sale for eternal life. So do not give because you feel guilty, you feel shameful, or you feel bad because you're a sinner. We know. <laughs> Jesus already paid that debt for you. And so if that's what giving isn't, then what is giving? And how should you give? Well, giving is the natural outpouring of a heart that is oriented towards serving God. Giving is something that we do out of the joy of our hearts because we are excited about the work of the church and the mission of God in the world. Giving is something that we do because we recognize that all of our money is God's anyway. And therefore, we're just dedicating a piece of what God already owns back to the work of God in the world. Giving is something that we do so that others can benefit. It is an outward expression of an inward reality. And that reality is that we care more about other people than we do about our bank accounts. So if that's what giving is I know you're all asking you're, you're, you want to know how much should you give right <laughs> well I'm probably uh, like creating a checklist of things for the finance committee to yell at me about at our next meeting but I'm going to say this it's really up to you you should give as much as you can the founder of the Methodist movement man named John Wesley had this to say about money in general. He said, you should earn all that you can. You should save all that you can. But you should give all that you can. And I know that everyone has their own complex financial situation. I know that, that many people in our church are at the end of their earning journey and are living off of the, the treasure that you worked for over the course of your entire career. And I know that not everyone is in the same place with that. I know that some may struggle. I know that if your treasure is all bound up in the economic system right now, the outlook isn't very good. And there's some, there's some anxiety. I get that. Generally, though, there's a rule of thumb. That's buried in the Old Testament law that has seemed to be fruitful for the church as well. And that's to give 10% of your income. For some folks, that's easy. And for some folks, that's well out of reach right now. My hope, my, my ask is that you will make a commitment to give something. 
to this church regularly over the next year if this is the place that you call home. If you're just visiting, like, don't worry about all that. Just worry about thinking about these truths about the relationship between yourself and money and meditate on that for a while and, and just pray that God will, will use that to give you uh, a better understanding of, of money and your relationship to it. But if this is your church home, I want you to commit to giving something. Give an amount that you can give joyfully without causing yourself undue hardship. Like, we don't want you to become homeless or without power because you gave us money. That doesn't really help, okay? Lexi and I uh, give 10% because that's a commitment that we made when we got married, and it's one that we have managed to somehow build our budget and our life around. And, you know, there's been times where, where things were tight because we give, where we really could have used that money because some things come up, you know, life happens. You, I got to tell you this, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean bad things stop happening, right? Cars still break down. <laughs> but we've never really, truly not been able to make it. About that time that we spent at Disney. Really, I, I'm still thinking about all that money that we spent. <laughs> like every day. <laughs> it's, just, it's the way it is, right? Well, I think about that, and, and I think about the, the fact that, you know, I didn't get everything that I wanted. I, I got on some cool rides, but I didn't, I didn't get everything that I wanted. But what I did get was a valuable investment in my son's life really a valuable investment in my own journey as a father. The, the real journey or the real blessing came from, from watching him experience the magic. Watching his little arms go up and thrill. Watching him develop and soak in everything that was going on around him was truly a gift to us. That's what we paid for. But it was a reminder to me that this life is really not all about me and what I want. That this life is not my own. And that's the reality, right? This life is not our own. This life belongs to Jesus. And if we truly believe that, then it is a joy to give and to see the, the fruit of our giving go, go towards the ministry of Jesus in our world. You know, it's a joy to see people experience the magic of a transformed life that Jesus offers them. It's, it's a joy to watch people go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. It's a joy to watch people who have been isolated and outcasted become people who are richly changed by the way that they belong in God's beloved community. It's a joy to give to God when God is our master. So don't, do not be mastered by money. So this really concludes our, our stewardship series. And I pray that long after these four weeks have gone and they fade into the back of our memories, that the the charge 
that I have given to you to, to serve and guard this church and our community as a means of making God's will be done in Fort Pierce as it is in heaven will live on strong in your heart and in your psyche, that it will be the, the driving force behind the ways that you use your time, the ways that you use your talent, and the ways that you use the treasure that God has entrusted to you. Because we together, if we steward what God has given to us well, can make God's will real, tangible, and done here in our community. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the gift of this church, and I thank you for the gift of these people. So God, we come and, and we lay ourselves down at your feet. We thank you that as you looked out on creation, you thought to yourself, you know, it would be good to share this with someone else. And that as you made humans, you saw that it was not good for us to be alone. That you walked with us in the garden. That you, you walked with your people Israel through the wilderness through cloud and by fire. And Lord, that you came and that you walked with us through the person of Jesus Christ. All as a means, as a, as a way of reaching out to us and saying to us, I want you to work for me. And so here we are, God. We are your people. We're here to serve and to guard this church and this world on your behalf. So, so move us by the power of your Holy Spirit to dream big dreams, to give extravagantly, and to use all that you have given to us to make your name known in our town and in our world. We love you. Thank you for the gift of First Fort Pierce. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.